Well, welcome to Summer of Love 2 in the third week. I got to let you know, we planned this series late last year, and it was supposed to be a real fun series. We did Summer of Love 1 back in 2013, and it was a great series. We kind of focused on the Summer of Love in 1967. So we had fun with it and kind of did some of the music from the 60s, and that's what we planned to do this year. But who knew what was going to happen? Because here we are, I mean, even though it's great to have some fun, a seriousness has set in on us, and it's made this series more needed than I could have ever imagined. Um, Obviously, we're in a pandemic, and that pandemic absorbs the news. And as I said a few moments ago, the problem with Americans is we can only think about one problem at a time. We have a short attention span, and we've really kind of lost the ability to do critical thinking. It's, It's been lost in our culture. And here we are because the, shut, the pandemic is doing damage, but the shutdown has done damage, and we're in the midst of all these problems. A famous psychiatrist who has a clinic in California wrote this week, he said, we have a pandemic of rage. And that's true. I mean, just let that settle in for a moment. We have a pandemic of rage. Hey, if you're on social media, you don't need me to tell you that. All anybody has to do is make any point coming from either side of the political spectrum and the rage comes out. And you and I know when we, when we look at those comments, we understand they're not, just a, they're not all that angry at what's being said. said. They're packing heat. They're walking around carrying rage. We have a pandemic of rage and the stress and the pressure, pressure is overwhelming us. And, and I'm just shooting straight with you. Nowhere is this felt more than in relationships families, and marriages. So in our series, we have kind of an 80s vibe, and there's a reason for that, because I want to talk a little history for just a moment. The original Summer of Love happened, at least with that moniker, happened in the Haight-Ashbury section of San Francisco back in 1967, and it was coined the Summer of Love. So if you've ever heard about the 60s being all that great, that's one of the reasons why it was considered like that. It was the, it was the Summer of Love. But 20 years later, sociologists were asking a question. And it's a question if you've studied history at all, and if you're my age, you know the answer to the question. But sociologists wanted to know, whatever happened to the hippies? Because if you ever were looking for a group that danced around with flowers in their hair, spouting socialism and, and you know, free love, and, and you can do anything you want to do with no restraint, Whatever happened to the hippies and the sociologist, in order to answer the question accurately, had to come up with another term. They coined the term yuppies, young urban professionals, because if you ever want to know what happened to the hippies, they became yuppies. And if you're, if you're in the 80s or if you're a connoisseur of 80s music, you know that things kind of got square in the 80s. In fact, one of the biggest bands of the 80s, Huey Lewis in the News, had a hit song called It's Hip to Be Square. So a lot of those hippies, young socialists that were dancing around in the park saying, you know, we're just going to live together in a commune. By the 80s, they were in the suburbs. And here's the thing. What was a hippie van, a Volkswagen hippie van, became in the 80s a minivan. But I could not bring myself to put a minivan on our stage. I needed some vehicle that was iconic from the 80s, and so you're seeing it, and our set shop, of course, does extraordinary things. So let me ask you a question. For all of you who like to study history, and for those of you who either were around in the 80s or really old like me, and well, I was a kid in the 60s, but I sort of remember it, the, um, what, what can we learn from all this? 
Well, the reason why the hippies became the yuppies is all about what happens in relationships. 1967, dancing around in the park was all based on feelings. But never forget this, New Spring. If you don't walk away with anything else from tonight's talk, remember this. And this is just a fact of life, whether you're a God follower or not. Something happens when responsibilities meet relationships. You know, we're big, we're big today like people like, I'm in a relationship. I don't ever know what in the world does that mean. We don't know what that means in our culture today. But here is the deal. Something happens when responsibility meets relationships. See, what happened was when the kids were dancing around in the park in the 60s, they didn't have any responsibilities yet. They were young, late high school, college students. They just didn't know yet what it meant to have a family and to have to bring money in and have to pay the bills and have to find ways to get dental care for your kids and help them with their education. See, something happened to those young kids dancing around in the park. Responsibility set in. And, and never forget this, New Spring. Whether you're watching online or if you're watching around the country. Whenever responsibilities meet a relationship, one of two things will happen. Either love dies or it grows up. And that's the reason why I was preparing for this series, not knowing about the coronavirus, I wanted the tagline to be, love grows up. And that's what we're talking about. And Jonathan has already brought two fantastic messages. And if you haven't had a chance to watch them, I hope you'll go back and look at them because he introduced the series so great. And for all of you who are looking at finding someone, I would really encourage you to look at his message from last week. Well, we're not in the 60s. We're not even in the 80s. We're in the third decade of a new millennium, and our world is in the biggest mess in history. And nowhere is this mess more apparent than in marriages and families. Let's talk about marriage for a moment. Let's start there. In 2020, we don't even know what marriage is anymore. I mean, we don't know, is this supposed to last? Is it something that's kind of a serial kind of deal? Is it between a man and a woman, a man and a man, a woman and a woman? I mean, there's even, there's even stuff now, and, and I saw this coming years ago. Not that I'm prescient, it's just I knew what was going to happen. Now we're talking about marriages between groups of people. But I understand because we haven't known what marriage is for a lot of years, even going back before my time. In my grandparents' time, when people got married, they dated, got to know each other. They became what they used to call serious. Then they would get engaged and they'd be married. And most of those marriages lasted a lifetime. But that's not been the case for probably going on 75 years. For those of you who are young, and I've said this before from this stage several times, my generation, the baby boomers, owe you, owe you an apology because we were the ones that danced around in the park and then we got the minivans in the 80s. But we sort of coined an expression. We said, you know what? You don't need a piece of paper. That simply meant we weren't going to make the commitment of getting marriage, married. You know, because our grandparents had called that shacking up. In fact, going back earlier, they called it living in sin. But my generation came along and said, you know what, if, you, if you're in love, who needs a piece of paper? You know, just move in together and try things out before you commit. By the way, try that at the car dealership, <laughs> buying a new car. You just tell them, look, I don't need a piece of paper. I just want to take this car and when I get tired of it, I'll bring it back. 
See, that not that funny? We laugh about it when it comes to a, a piece of equipment, but in our culture today, that's the norm. And, and for all of you who grew up and not, not knowing that that's an issue, my generation owes you a huge apology because we were the ones who did that. You know, you try things out, you sleep together, you function as a family, and maybe, just maybe, just maybe we'll decide to get married, but the stats prove that almost nobody makes it. And here's a really scary thing. For those who do live together for a long time before they get married, and they do get married, their divorce rate is way higher. And, and it's obvious why. And the reason for it is, if, if you've lived together and you've lived as a couple, maybe even lived as a family, and then you finally decide we're going to get married, and then and you get married, and you go home after that wedding, what exactly happened? That's the thing. See, what happens is... the marriage tends to be more the finish line. And so, so many of those couples in a divorce, by the way, and I know that many here and watching have, have you, you, that's been a challenge for you because you've been in a season like that. Let me just tell you one thing as a pastor and a leader, as somebody who's watched lives for a lot of years, there is one exception to that rule. There is one group of people who have lived together, who get married and they have a high success rate. And I'll tell you who they are. They are the people who hear a message like this and say, you know what? I didn't learn this. Nobody taught me this. I'm just part of the culture. I just learned this. And so that's what we did. But now that we know what God wants us to do, we're going to get under the umbrella of God's blessing. I have watched as most of those marriages are very successful because when they get married, they know what just happened. They just put themselves in a place where God can bless them. And when they go home from that wedding ceremony, they're ready to go somewhere. So if you're here tonight and you're watching me and it's like, oh, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable because that's what we're doing right now, just take that into consideration because every time you ever put yourself in a place where God can bless you, blessing will come. Anytime we go against God's will, then things are going to go south on us. So with everything I've set up till now, we could draw the conclusion that the problem with America in 2020 is that we don't know what marriage is. That is a problem. But our problem is way deeper than that. The real problem with America today is not that we don't know what marriage is. The problem is we don't know what love is. So I want to talk about that tonight. When Jonathan was pitching the first two sermons to me, Jonathan's a little more conservative than I am. So he, he, he gave me the title for the first message. It was great. I said, Jonathan, the only problem is that's from the 70s. So the next week he said, well, um, I'm going to call it, don't you want somebody to love? I said, that's from 1967. So as great as his messages have been, I'm finally going to get us in the 80s because tonight's title is, I want to know what love is, okay? Here's the problem with most people in love. And I mean, when love starts going south. And I've heard this, I don't counsel anymore, but in all the years I counseled, I heard something like this. People think that the problem started with the relationship. And for all of you who are single, um, this, this, or, or just maybe you've been through a bad relationship and you're, you're starting to rethink things, you're, you're on the cutting edge of this, although this is going to be beneficial for married, married people. Um, <laughs> I've had people in my office before tell me, well, I was just fine before I met blank. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I wish I had a nickel for every time I'd heard that. We could build this building out here. We could finish building. We could pay for all those salvation packets. I was just fine before I met her. 
I was, I was in great shape before I met her. I, I was just great before I met him. Now, they tell that or they say that because they have a complete misconception about love. And can I just tell you tonight, what I'm going to tell you is uphill. And if you're into you know, political correctness and pop culture, I might as well be speaking Mandarin. But if, if, if you want your life to turn around and if you want your life to be blessed, just please hear me out. Or more importantly, hear what God has to say. The problem is they have the idea, I'm going to rock along with my life, and then I'm going to meet the right person, and I'm going to find true love. That's not a biblical concept. The biblical concept is for love to be operating in a relationship, it has to start running in that person's life before he ever meets anybody. The love's got to be in her life before she ever meets anyone. Now, that may sound strange because, as I said a few moments ago, most people don't even begin to understand what the biblical definition of love is. Jonathan started us off with the fact that there are five Greek words, New Testament's written in Greek, five Greek words that are brought over into English and they get translated as love. One word is epithemates, which just simply is raw sexual passion. So that word gets translated love into our language. Most of our songs... Most of our expressions in entertainment are built on, on epithematics. Another word that's very close to it is eros, which is romance. The third word is storge. It means natural love. That's the kind of love that you pet your dog and let somebody in in front of you in traffic. Okay, that is natural love, which, by the way, the Bible says that in the last days, people will be without natural love. We're watching that. Then the fourth kind of love is the word phileo. We get our word well, we get the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, same word. It's, it means friendship. Now, here is the thing, and I don't know how to say this strongly enough. Until Jesus comes into your life, those four are the only ones available. When Jesus talked about having new life, he's not talking about joining a religion. He said you have to be born again. In other words, life has to start over. God's spiritual life has to come into your life. Now, here's the thing. When you invite Jesus Christ into your life and God's Holy Spirit moves into your heart and life and God is living inside of you, you suddenly now are capable of a fifth word of love, which is agape. Now, agape is basically the love that God had for us and the love that God had for the world flowing through us. And the word agape became almost exclusive to the Christian community in the first century. Now, there are two important things about agape love, and I wish I could teach on this for another four or five hours, but I've got about 15 minutes, okay? And that's with you giving me five extra. Is that all right? Okay. When the Bible talks about love, and by the way, agape is the only kind of love God recognizes. God doesn't necessarily recognize verse four. Agape love has two characteristics. Number one, it's characterized by what it does. And we'll read in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 13, because God's going to tell us what it does. The second thing that it's characterized by is it's undeserved. It's not a feeling, it's a choice. So, okay, you got those two things down. Now, as far as what it does, Jonathan read this to you in week one, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We get this great definition, working definition of agape love. Love is patient and kind. Love's not jealous, not boastful, not proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. 16 years ago, 
we were having a marriage renewal in a series I was doing here at New Spring. I had a crazy idea. We can't do it anymore. We only had about 1,000 people in those days, so it was 7,000 people. We can't do this anymore. And with all of our services, I said, hey, if you want to renew your vows, we're going to have a mass vow renewal at the end of the service. I said, if you want to wear your wedding dress, great. If you want to wear a tux, great. So that day, everybody came forward at the end of the two services who wanted to have their vows renewed. There were wives and husbands and wedding dresses and tuxes. And typical New Spring, there were people in cutoffs and T-shirts. I mean, it was just sort of like us. But when I, when I was working on that sermon, I took 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and without even realizing what I was doing, I wrote what is going to be the most requested thing I've ever written in my lifetime. I wrote a series of wedding vows based on 1 Corinthians 13, just for that service. I, I saw what love was, and the weird thing is, as soon as I did that, every, marriage, every wedding I had, people were saying, Pastor Mark, can you do those vows again? All of a sudden, we started getting requests from all over the world. Can we get a copy of those vows? Whenever I die, that's going to be the thing I will have written that has gone further than anything else other than maybe our salvation book. So here are the vows. Some of you were married with these vows. Whether I think Jonathan uses them most of the time now. By the grace of God's Holy Spirit, I will be patient and kind to you. Because I love you, I won't demand my own way or hold past faults against you. I will be loyal to you, always faithful from my heart. I will always believe the best about you. I will always defend you. My love for you will never end. I haven't done marriages in 10 years except for a handful. But there's always a line when I'm standing up here where I watch the bride and the groom kind of break up a little bit. You want to take a crack at which one it is? I mean, it's like clockwork. It's like I could set my watch. I know when I get to that line, some big hulking masculine guy is going to choke up and have a hard time getting the line out. You want to take a crack at which one it is? I will always believe the best about you. I don't do weddings anymore, but I, I love thinking about those vows. And here is the thing. This is so important, New Spring. When I started those vows based on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I had to put one line in at the very top. And that line is, by the grace of God's Holy Spirit. Now, there are two reasons why I put that line in there. Number one, that kind of love, don't try this at home, boys and girls. Don't try that kind of love without the Holy Spirit. But here's the second reason, and it's an even bigger reason. See, this is the reason why a moment ago I said if a person's not born from heaven, they can't love this way because this isn't the kind of love that you can work up. The Bible tells us God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. In other words, when God's Holy Spirit came into your life, when you accepted Jesus, suddenly you had a whole new capability because the way God loves the world is poured out on me and through me. And if I don't block it, I can love Mary Alice with the love like God loved me. How about that? Now, one more time, until God moves into your life and until God has first place in your life, that kind of love is unavailable. Through the years, I don't know, I may have married five, six, seven, eight hundred couples, I don't know. I used to do premarital counseling. 
And usually there'll be a young gal, young guy. Sometimes I wouldn't know them very well. If they were in our church, I'd know them pretty well. But there'd be people that would be like a relative of somebody in the church, and they'd sit down in my office. And so I'd start talking to the bride and groom about, do you know for sure that you've accepted Jesus, and what place is God in your life? And I've had this look many times, and I've actually had some of them tell me, especially, especially guys, would say, I didn't come here to talk to you about God. I came here to talk to you about getting married. I'm like, well, then just go find a justice of the peace somewhere. The church is not a prop. I mean, if God is if first in your life, then you need a church wedding. If you don't care a rip about God, then don't get married in a church. It's not just a prop. But the thing about it is, if you and I want the kind of love that, that really will last, God has got to be first in our life. Now, I've got, it's two minutes till five, so that means I'm going to, can I have like eight minutes maybe? I want to give you three thoughts and we'll go home. Number one, and these are, th- these are massive thoughts. This kind of love should be flowing in your life before you meet that special person. Now, I know that some of you came to know Jesus after you got married, and, 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 you, and that's fine. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> I've always said, you know, when you hear what God has to say, go as soon as you can to line up with him. But for all of you who are single here today, don't believe you're going to find the right person. You're going to find love. That love, that God love needs to be flowing in your life long before you ever meet anybody. And by the way, this is why the scriptures are so clear on this. I mean, I've had people say, why does the Bible say that a Christian should not marry someone who's not a Christian? Well, because you can't match up. A person who's not a Christian only has four capabilities of love. A person who is a Christ follower has five, and they're not going to be able to match up together the way that God wanted them to do. Only the Holy Spirit can pour the love of God in my heart. I don't have the Holy Spirit until Jesus saves me. And so it's not impossible, and Lord knows, I mean, many of us even here have been in a situation where one person was a believer, another person wasn't a believer at the time. You may still be there today. It's not impossible to have a good marriage that way, but it's never going to be what God, God wanted for you. And let me just go a step further. I mean, I'm, I, I'm running out of time. If you're single here today, it's not enough to just find somebody who's a, who's a Christian or says he's a Christian, you know? One thing I've watched is oftentimes, you know, people date and, and they know before they go meet the pastor, the pastor's going to ask them if they're both Christians. And so she said, yeah, I asked him and he said he's a Christian. That's not enough. It's not even enough for two saved people to get together. Because see, here's the thing. There's a reason why I keep using the word flowing. God's love flows from heaven into us. It will flow through me unless I block it. And selfishness is what always blocks the love of God. Now, I want you to imagine something for just a moment. I want you to imagine two people who are, they are born by the Spirit of God. They know Jesus is Lord and Savior. And here is a man that the love of Jesus is flowing through. And here is a woman that the love of Jesus is flowing through. And, you know, here's the thing. I don't know when you heard those vows a few moments ago. Did you notice that there were not some words in those vows? Did you notice that there weren't the words if or the words until or the words un- word unless? Because agape love doesn't have those words in it. And you can just imagine what a home would be like if a man and a woman both had the love of Jesus flowing through them. And a lot of you live in those kinds of, not perfect. Lord knows we have our days. You know, I've been talking to singles, but the weird thing is a lot of you who are married just figured out the problem. 
It's the love of Jesus. Second, second. Oh, goodness. I'm so sorry. I'm out of time. I've been preaching these five kinds of love. Do you know the first time I did a series on marriage at New Spring when I talked about the, these five kinds of love? I was 29. That's how long I've been teaching this. I've gotten it wrong until tonight. And I, I wish I could go back to all those audiences for the last 35 years and get it right. But with you, I'll get it right tonight. I had always looked at those five different kinds of love like sealed units. You know, here's your sex. Here's your epithemetes, sexual attraction. Here's your eros. Here's your romance. Here's that natural love that makes you love a favorite cheer, guys. Number four, here's friendship. And then there's agape love. I had looked at those like sealed units. I don't know what I was missing. Because see, the more I begin to study the word of God, I begin to realize that the Bible had a different way of looking at it. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14 says, let everything you do be done in agape, true love to God. One more time, look at it again. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let everything you do, that would be loves one through four, be done in love number five. And here we go. This is the second thing I want to share with you tonight. Maybe I'll teach on this a lot more sometime because this is a huge concept. Just for those of you who have the courage to take God at his word tonight, this is transformative. Let God's love inform and manage the other four. Oh, I wish I knew how to preach. I've been doing marriage preaching, seminars, conferences, series. I can't even remember how many audiences I've spoken to around the world on this. And here's the thing. I would bring stuff that guys could do to be better husbands, things that wives could do to be better wives, a lot of you know, fun and humor and those kinds of things. And people love that kind of talk. And they go away from those experiences and they say, okay, I'm, you know, I, I, we're just going to go home and talk to each other about how to, how to be better couples. I want to ask you to think about something tonight. What if agape love directed the other four? Let's take sex. Okay? It's okay to talk about sex. We talk about it in church. We need to talk more about it in church. I mean, every once in a while people say, well, I don't know about talking about sex in church because the average couple and family watches a lot of junk on television that's really, the church needs to speak into it in a good way, Right? I don't apologize a bit about that. Okay, let's take sex. Remember those vows? By the grace of God's Holy Spirit, I will be patient and kind to you. Because I love you, I won't demand my own way or hold past faults against you. I will be loyal to you, always faithful from my heart. I will always believe the best about you. I will always defend you. My love for you will never end. You try applying that to your, for those of you who are married, you try applying that to your sex life. You want to take it to a red hot smoking place? You try that. Because see, here's the thing. A lot of problems, here's the thing. There are couples that believe in agape love, but they have that reserved for their Bible study. But what if we took it and applied it to sex? I'll tell you what, there's so many Christian even Christian leaders are struggling with lust and pornography in these days. I learned something a long time ago, and let me just speak bluntly. I'm glad Mary Alice is not here because I would probably embarrass her. 
I learned a long time ago, if I focus all my attention on Mary Alice, I don't have to worry about lust. I mean, when I see her, it, it's, it does something to me. I, I'm letting you know. I mean, I could see her wear something and somebody else could walk by wearing the same thing. Wouldn't mean anything to me because a long time ago, I decided she was the focus of my attention. Now, it helps that she's beautiful, but I'm just telling you. And that's a little frank and I'm a little embarrassed even going there, but I... <laughs> We need to get some help here. Okay, let's take it to romance. Okay, eros, the second kind of love, romance love. That's a warm experience of, you know, warm expression of affection. It's the magic of love. It's that glow. What happens with the glow? For all of you who've been married five years or more, glow fades. You know, that feeling of love that used to be there, that romance. But I mean, you know, here's the thing. Take those vows and apply it to that. I will be patient and kind to you. I will believe the best about you. I will, I will always defend you. What about friendship? Somebody will say, well, I don't know that you really need to apply agape love to friendship. It's already pretty good. Really? Think with me for a moment. Mary Alice is my best friend. We met in high school. We've been married since I was almost 21. She was almost 19. So that's how long we've been together. And that, by the way, we started pastoring the next week. She is my best friend. I'm ashamed to say the most hurtful things I've ever said to anybody, thankfully not very often, but the most hurtful things I've ever said to anybody, I've said to Mary Alice because she's my wife. Isn't that weird? How that we could say the most hurtful things we would ever say to the person we love the most. See, here's the problem with friendship. Even as wonderful as it is, we don't always feel like being friends. But what if we took agape love and even applied that to our best friendship? By the grace of God's Holy Spirit, I'll be patient and kind to you. Because I love you, I won't demand my own way or hold past faults against you. I'll be loyal to you, always faithful from my heart. I will always believe the best about you. I will always defend you. My love for you will never end. See, that's the power of agape love. You let it inform the others. And that's where I failed. Trying to get it right tonight for you. I mean, I've taught, taught, and taught, and taught, and people say, well, I'm, my, my wife and I, we're going to go out of here and we're going to work on our relationship. I want to tell you something that you could do this a lot bigger. Before you talk to your wife, before you talk to your husband, why don't you just go talk to God? Each one of you, go into your prayer closets and talk to God and say, God, help the love to flow through both of us and then get back together and watch what God does. Well, I know this has been a strange talk and like I said, I might as well be speaking a foreign language because... <laughs> For a lot of people, I mean, I understand our world today. I know how it works, even in the church. Church is not, I don't mean New Spring, but I mean the church at large, not a whole lot different from the rest of the world. We're just in a dark time. A lot of people have the idea that comes from another 80s song. If it don't come easy, better let it go. But before you, before you roll out what I've said tonight, I want you to hear the third thought is that Jesus makes a promise to anybody he'll take him up on this. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus was teaching. It's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he made a, a little statement. He said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on the solid rock. The rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against the house. It won't collapse. It won't collapse. It won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. 
But anyone who hears my teachings and ignores it, it's like anyone who's like, I'm hearing this now, and I didn't really get anything. Anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person. I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to just love the way I want to love. It's like someone who builds his house on the sand. And when the rains come, when the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus is talking about two builders. And one of the builders, like he wants a house, he decides he's going to put it on the beach. He wants a beachfront property. He doesn't put a foundation down, just puts the house. Looks good. Goes up fast. Oh, boy, I could preach that. Goes up fast. He can't figure his neighbor out. I mean, well, all the time, he's, he's already finished building his house, his neighbors. Dr. Luke tells us this. This story's in all four Gospels. Dr. Luke says he digged deep, and he didn't stop till he came to rock. And the first guy all this time is like, what in the world is wrong with my friend? My house has been up forever. It looks good. I'm enjoying it around, around the back. We're sipping lemonade and other stuff, and we're just watching the waves. It feels good crazy neighbor over there what is up with him he's down at that new spring church and he's there all the time and he's got his bible on his desk and i don't understand that but she's building her house on the rock she's building her marriage on the word of god she's building her relationship and the way she talks to her husband he's building the way he talks to his wife building it on the word of god he's saying i'm going to let agape love inform the other love in my life because I tell you what, that storm hits both sides of the beach. Storms are coming to all of us. I've been through some. Mary Alice and I have been through some storms before. But when the storm rolls away and the sun comes back, the house is still standing. Not because we're smarter than anybody else. Not because, we're, not because we know something they don't know. It's because our house is built on the word of God. And we have decided we are going to tell this crazy generation, you may think you have the answers. We're looking to God for the answers. And it will stand the test when the storms come. Just a couple more minutes because I can't leave without doing this. If anyone's here watching online and you've never really allowed Jesus Christ to become Lord of your life, it's a, we're talking about a miracle. We're talking about God moving in. Wouldn't you want to love? Wouldn't you want to have the power to love the way we've talked about tonight? Wouldn't you like to have that power in your life? The Bible tells us whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, forgiven, empowered. God's Holy Spirit will move in and you'll become a new person. Scripture tells us all you have to do is ask. You believe. You believe that Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. He died on the cross for your sins. Paid the price for what you did. And then he was buried and he rose from the grave. And he's alive and he's willing to be your savior. And the Bible tells us that if you invite Jesus Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit that's all around you moves in and changes your life. If you're here and you want to pray with me, I'm going to pray these words slowly. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I break your law, but I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. 
I ask you to forgive me and make me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me here or outside our campus, all you have to do if you pray, you can, uh, you can just text PRAY, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000, and we have a gift box that we want to give you. Thank you for being here. For those of you on campus, thanks for coming tonight. Sorry I went into overtime, but this is great stuff. Thank you. God bless. We'll see you soon.